This is Tiger Hall. A little over 10 years ago, Google realized it was losing women who had just given birth at twice the rate of other employees. Conversations were had, policies changed, and they increased their maternity leave from three months at partial pay to five months at full pay. The result? The attrition rate dropped by 50%. This goes to show the power of a simple policy change. For my next stage in this trail, I want to dive into the HR side of things. What policies would be really helpful for working mums? What's the ideal length for maternity leave? What should organisations be striving for culturally? And what are the opportunities? I'm going to be speaking to Lindsay Blakey, Managing Director for HR at Standard Chartered Bank. Lindsay is passionate about inclusion, which I'm sure is going to really come across in our chat. She also has a less traditional, shall we say, family setup, which I'm sure will come up at some point. Okay, Lindsay, why is being a working mother still so shit? <laughs> not a controversial title, Pippa. I love the title. I have to say it's nothing if not controversial. Is it shit or is it just bloody hard work? I don't know. But the question for me is, is it getting better? So is it better today for my generation than it was 30, 40 years or 50 years ago for our parents' generation? I don't know. You don't know, yeah. Maybe we can dive into that. Okay, from an HR leader perspective, what do you think are the most essential areas that need attention to better support mothers? So... I don't think there's one particular thing. This is a really complex space, in, in my humble opinion. And I think it's a combination of several things. So I'll sort of canter through what I think is important in this space. But I think the basis or the really good foundation for me is good policy. So good strategy, good policy, which actually levels the playing field. So most organisations I've worked in, and certainly the current organisation I'm with, have an overarching approach to, for example, working parents and working mothers in particular. But where we believe that actually to attract, retain and develop the very best talent then foundationally, we need great policy. And that great policy, if you think about the markets in which most multinational organisations operate in, they're so diverse and so different. And culturally, the norms that are accepted or not accepted or the role of a woman in society in what, 58 or 60-something of our markets is so different. So to have a good overarching position on this is why it's important for us as an organization I think is the first step and then to just have really good policy that sort of levels the playing field so we have a minimum standard then across all our markets regardless of where you sit I think is probably the cornerstone I think the other thing is you can have the best policy in the world but if you have a really really rubbish people leader or line leader it's actually probably not going to be a great experience. So actually, I think a focus on people leaders doing the right thing, ensuring that they understand what their teams and their employees need, that everybody's different. And that actually, if we focus on output and performance and not necessarily about the time somebody's in an office or, you know, whether somebody logged on at whatever time or whether somebody's working pattern is the same as the next, 
then I think that that is sort of the recipe for success in our organisations. In regard to flexibility, I've just been recording this morning with Sheila, also as part of this series, who was talking, I mean, she's also a big advocate of flexible working and saying uh, this is what people want, and especially working mothers in particular uh, are asking for this. But then proximity bias is then a big issue. Is there anything from the HR side that, that you're seeing with this? Gosh, so this is the FaceTime in the office, the people yeah, who are yeah. closest being seen. Yeah, it's it's a great point. And actually, it's something that we, so we tend to, as we head out into markets and now COVID's over, we're starting to see and meet more people. We do roundtables with typically our female talent, because it's all very well and good sitting in an ivory tower in Singapore, deciding what's best, but actually bringing people together to say what's working, what's not working, and give us your views. And we do that across working mothers, female talent, generations as well. But notwithstanding, this actually came up a good few months back at one of our roundtables in London, where somebody said, do you know what, it's great that we have this future ways of working. So we have been very clear, Pepper, that hybrid working is here to stay. So we're not expecting everybody back in the office five days a week. What we're saying is, talk to your people leader and agree what works best for you. And then let's put that into place. And it could be different for every person. Now, the lady that spoke up at one of the round tables made this exact point, which is, that's all very well and good. But if the majority of your male colleagues are back in the office five days a week, because I don't know, for a myriad of reasons, that's the way they like to work or they have a significant other that doesn't work and stays at home and takes care of the home and the childcare. So it's easier for them to get back into the office. And we're working remotely, then you're missing out on the water cooler moments. You're missing out on the, as you said, FaceTime or the proximity bias. And I don't think we've quite cracked the nut on that, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is something that we're working on. You know, we've got squads set up that look at how do you transcend those two areas? So, you know, how do you have water cooler moments when you're working remotely? How do you ensure that actually key team meetings happen on the days where you know you've got your majority of your people in? And actually to underpin that, have a look at really good data analytics to say what days are people mainly in the office? Those are the days we get together as a team or we might go out for lunch together as a team. Don't do it on the days where you know you've got majority out, but it's not an easy one to crack. And I I imagine many organisations are grappling with the same problem Mm. in this post-COVID world. Yeah, it's so complicated, right? There are so many little, (laughs) little things that you don't think about. It's not quite as simple as saying, yes, flexibility for anyone who wants it. It comes with its own set of challenges, right? Yes. And I think flexibility as well, Pippa, is not only limited to people tend to think, well, it's either working at home or it's working in the office yeah. uh, or it's, you know, being able to start a little bit later. I mean, it's so diverse. And again, for us, we've got the umbrella term future ways of working or different ways of working. And it could be about job share. You know, how many jobs can you have where you've got two people doing one job, but they're each part time? And interestingly, I think the CEO of Marks and Spencers is actually a job share. So, Oh, really? Yes, I think it's a job share between a, a woman and a man, two and a half days a week. But interestingly, if you can make it work in that type of role at that level, 
arguably we can make it work anywhere. But I do tend to find with it sort of boil flexibility down to in the office or out of the office or working part time. And I think it's so much broader than that. So for busy working mums, actually, I was just saying, I was just saying to Sheila this morning that the term working mum is almost a bit sort of like lady boss and I I keep saying it and then I'm really getting annoyed with myself but what do you think is the I suppose it's so personal right but what do you think is the most effective policy to have to allow for people to take flexible work and use the flexibility as they want to I'll give you my HR perspective and then I'll give you my lady boss perspective, my working (laughs) mum perspective. I also hate that term, by the way. I have a real kind of physiological reaction to it when I hear it. But um, so look, from a professional perspective, I don't think there is one golden bullet policy here. I genuinely believe under the umbrella of diversity and inclusion, which is where I think this firmly sits, If you truly want to have a culture of inclusion where, you know, I always think about it three ways. You attract, retain and develop the very best talent for your organisation, regardless of whether they're a man, woman, identifiers, non-binary, whatever you are. Mm. And everybody, everybody works in their own way, right? And everybody's motivated by different things. So I think for true inclusion, you really have to have that broad church and really understand then what are the sweet spots. And so, yes, parental leave policy is key, right? And actually parental leave policy that's not just about maternity leave for somebody who has given birth, but actually for somebody who might be adopting or somebody who might be a surrogate, for example. So it's having that true inclusion at the heart of the decisions that you're making around policy. We had a great example in the bank last year where we had a same-sex couple, two males, who well had a surrogate baby in the US, were bringing it back into the country that they worked in. And in our policy, we didn't state that it was it was really maternity. Mm. And it didn't state that that, you know, really covered the same sex as well. But if your policy doesn't cover it, then your second line of defense is to have great line leadership and great HR people who then say, actually, this doesn't align with our philosophy of doing the right thing, of ensuring that we are being inclusive. So let's rethink that policy and actually let's drive a change. So it's your second line of defense that somebody doesn't say, well, this is the policy and the policy says no, so sorry. Mm. You actually can say, let's make a change on it. And we ended up saying, you know what, this is within our gift to say, we extend this policy and we'll make a change. And that individual took 16 weeks maternity leave to go and, you know, collect their baby and then spend time bonding and getting to know. So I think that's the important thing. I think from a personal perspective, what's always enabled me to work, I've got a busy, full-time global role based in Singapore. And it isn't easy, Pippa, right? I do suffer from this almost like constant guilt. There are the sweet spots where I go, yes, I'm nailing this. But actually, for 90% of the time, I always feel like I'm letting something or somebody down. So whether it's I'm not focused on my children because I'm dashing out to work or, you know, my husband and I haven't had a date night because of my late night calls have really took over for two weeks. Or actually my own self, I haven't been for that run I want to do because, you know, I'm trying to juggle everything. And so for me, I have to just keep reminding myself I can't pour from an empty cup. 
So actually, first and foremost, the priority is to make sure my well-being isn't, you know, I'm exercising, I'm sleeping, I'm eating well. And then I'm making sure that when I'm with my children, I'm giving them the focus and dedication and the time. So I'm present and in the moment. And so I don't have my work phone with me if I'm with them for an hour. Just little things like that that alleviate that guilt and pressure. And I've always had great people leaders. I have to say, I've worked in good organizations where I align to the values of doing the right thing and treating people in the right way. And I've had good people leaders who get it. And I have to say, I've had people leaders who are also working parents. And I've had nervousness around having people who aren't parents. My current line leader, she's a working woman, but she isn't a parent. And I was a bit nervous about that at first. I was thinking, you know, are they going to get it? Mm, How's it going to be? You know, if I have those emergencies, I have nothing to worry about because fundamentally she gets that I need to work in a certain way and that it's about output and you know, she has always been there and always allowed me to do what I need to do, whether that's, you know, take Friday afternoon back because I'm not going to pick up the children. So I think it really does come down to those elements. This guilt you mentioned, thank you for sharing that, by the way. It just seems to be completely universal to all mums with busy jobs that I speak to. Everyone talks about this never-ending guilt that just doesn't quite go away. Yes. And, you know, I'm lucky because I have, I mean, very unconventional. Freddie, you know, we moved here from the UK and Freddie is, a, again, awful term, trailing spouse. Mm. And so he takes, he picks up a lot of that mental load, that remembering the birthday, sorting the play dates, thinking about the school bags being ready. But the you know, there is something inbuilt. I truly believe this is my own belief rather than any research. I truly believe that you become a mother, you give birth to that child or those children. There's a part of your brain that switches on and never switches off again. And you can't transfer that anywhere. You can't outsource that. Or certainly I haven't found a way to do that yet. So I still am thinking about, he he sounded a bit croaky last night. I need to just double check that He's okay. You know, I can't delegate that. Or you just know that sometimes, you know, if if your child says, oh, do you know, I really would love you to take me to school tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. and you've got an 8am call. Do you know what, Pippa? Sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to move that call. Actually, I'm going to move that call because my senses, my intuition tells me she needs to chat to me about something. And so that's, you know, that's how I guess you manage the guilt. I don't think it ever goes away. And I think just as women generally, I mean, not just working mothers, we carry that imposter syndrome. Yeah. We carry all of those early messages about what it means to be a woman, whether that's, you know, being a good girl, not making too much fuss, being nice. I mean, it's so bloody complicated, isn't it? You know, when you bring all of that then into the realm of trying to be a successful professional and a mother as well, I think it's so complex. I mean, yeah, extraordinarily complex, really. Once you start thinking about it, it's it's a path that you can keep going down. And just, I mean, on the personal side, you and I are both from a similar part of England, actually very nearby. And I was sharing with you before recording that one thing I've become so aware of in recent years is that growing up there, and it's it's the same in a lot of communities, which you you mentioned before, traditional gender roles were, well, very traditional. So growing up, I didn't really know that I could have a career. This didn't dawn on me until later, but all the boys grew up 
knowing they were going to need to be the breadwinner. And that was rooted in their mindset from a very young age, right? And I just keep going back to this thought because I'm thinking until we change this social conditioning that starts so young, I wonder how much progress there'll be in terms of gender equality when we're grown up. Yes, it's fascinating, isn't it? And and mm. as a mother of a daughter and a son, yeah, it's just one big experiment because yeah. I hope I'm able to break some of that paradigm and break the cycle. But who knows? Who knows, you know, the social norms of being a woman and being a working mother, I think are so strong. It takes parents, it takes schools, it takes governments, it takes organisations, It's such a 360 support structure and mindset shift that I think needs to change, Pippa, to to know that we're going to have gender equality. I think the latest UN statistics tell us it's going to take like 136 years for true gender equality. And that's depressing, isn't it? I mean, that is like, so in my lifetime, your lifetime, our daughters, our grandchildren's lifetime, it's probably not going to change. So I think it's tricky. I think all we can do, it, it does alleviate my guilt a little bit, actually knowing that my children are seeing me hold down a job mm-hmm. <laughs> reasonably <laughs> successfully some of the time. Oh, very successfully, um, I think. <laughs> but I hope the gift I'm giving them is role modeling that yeah. this can be done. And hopefully it will change just a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's the idea of the throwing the starfish back into the ocean. You know, if I can save two or three, you know, hopefully mm. that's a affects a bigger change. A ripple effect, yeah. Okay, I wanted to ask you about parental leave policies. We we mentioned this earlier, but I always assumed that the more generous the leave, the better. But now, the more I've started looking into it, the more I've realised that longer isn't necessarily better. And there's a lot of nuance involved in this. So from your HR perspective, what are your thoughts on this? What's the, the sweet spot for maternity, paternity? Yes. So look, as a European and, you know, again, having had two children, I think that you know, the period after having had a baby is not just about the giving birth and then healing physically. I think there is a whole period of time where you're bonding, you know, you're you're learning to become a mother. So for me, again, having had the complete privilege and luxury of having a full year of maternity leave for both of my children. So with my first child, I didn't know what was going to hit me. And I can remember Pippa having these conversations with my colleagues. I was in Vodafone at the time saying, look, don't worry, I'm going to be back here in 12 weeks. You know, I've got this plan, the baby's going to come out and then I'll be back here because, you know, yada yada. How wrong I was. Oh my gosh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realised there is no way on this earth that I'm going to be back in the workplace in three months time. And actually, even after a year, I found myself sort of going, oh gosh, this is hard. It's hard to come back in. So I do think there are a couple of things generally in parental leave policies, I'll talk more generically, that I've seen that work really well. One is the keeping in touch days. So again, it's enshrined in legislation in some of our more mature markets. But actually, again, it comes down to how good your line leader is or how much you want to keep in touch. But you have the option whilst you're on maternity leave to come in, spend an hour or two in the office, even get involved in some of the meetings that are going on, or even just have lunch with, you know, colleagues and friends. Yeah. 
and you get paid for those. So if your maternity pay is unpaid, you would get paid for those keep in touch days. I think those are really, really important because again, from a personal perspective, it's different for everybody, but I felt I lost my identity a bit when I had a baby. Yes. And, and I can remember saying to my long suffering husband, I just want to go back to normal. <laughs> and he, in, in his very calm, wise way, he used to say, I'm not quite sure what normal is anymore, but I think we've got to create the new normal. This is the new world. And he was so right because life's never going to be the same again. But actually, if you can find your anchor points like your workplace, like your friends and colleagues, like something that you know is familiar to you. And for some people, that might be work. You know, I can remember again thinking my God, I know nothing about being a mother. And you're used to solving problems in a professional environment. And you're used to taking a decision that tends to work. And then suddenly when you have a baby, you realize you try everything and then nothing works. This baby still cries. This baby still wakes you up every hour. And you sort of lose your confidence a bit. You you think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Like, I can't do this. (laughs) I can't control this like I can I can't control it, exactly. (laughs) And so if you're a control freak, and I'm a recovering control freak and perfectionist, but you tend to try and find your anchor points. And for me, work was one of those. And so to have those policies in place, I think it's really important. The other thing is don't assume in parental leave that everybody wants to take the full amount of time. People might want to come back to work earlier. As we know in some of our markets, not least where you and I sit here in Singapore, Pippa, we are so lucky to have access to help in the home at very reasonable cost. And whilst, as I said, you can't delegate all aspects of parenting, to have somebody who could be living or could live out, who picks up a lot of that load for you, It's just humbling and it's a mind-blowing privilege. But I recognise that not everybody is in that position. And in most of our developed markets, childcare is just unaffordable, you know, so people have to take some really tough decisions. So whatever an organisation can do to address things for the lowest common denominator in terms of those markets where it's more tricky or that costs are very high or that people don't have access to many things. I think that's the sweet spot for your parental leave policies. And then to be able to supplement where maybe it's not available outside of organisations. So whether that's childcare cost support, whether it's having crash on, on site or, or whatever it might be that's right for your market. And keeping in touch with the person so that when they do come back to work, a very long answer to your original question, but when they do come back into the workplace, if indeed that's what they want to do, it's not like turning up on day one and it's all alien and you've got to start again. Because typically if you do that, you're right, it's so hard to re-enter back into the workplace. And typically people may not bother coming back because they say, I just don't have the confidence or I don't feel I can. Or indeed they come back and then they find it's just so difficult that they have to take a different decision. And then you lose talent. You know, ultimately, this is about attracting and retaining and developing great talent. So if you close off those avenues through poor policy or poor leadership, or even just not realizing you're unintentionally doing the wrong things, I mean, that's a huge loss for a business and a business performance. Mm. 
Hey, sorry to so rudely interrupt my own conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that this is a Tiger Hall podcast. Tiger Hall is the world's leading social learning platform, and we have hundreds of interviews just like this with amazing senior business leaders from around the world. These can all be accessed via the Tiger Hall app, which is free to download. You get free content every month and new stuff is uploaded every workday. I hope to see you there. So on the childcare piece, and you and I have discussed this before because I know you were involved in a British organisation called Pregnant Then Screwed, that childcare, I mean, childcare in the UK it's a massive problem in the US. It's a massive problem in lots of parts of the world. It's it's broken. That's the word I keep hearing. Like It's broken. What do you think organizations should do? I mean, because it's a massive investment for companies to suddenly be saying, okay, we're going to offer childcare as part of our benefits. It's tricky. Goodness, I don't think there is a great answer to this. But I mean, Pregnant Then Screwed and Jolie Brilly, who's the founder and heads it up, are just, I mean, they're complete heroes, right? They're an organisation that started small and started on a shoestring and have helped not just so many individuals who have had horrendous situations. So, you know, we've got to realise that the majority of the world... People don't work for the big multinationals, organizations or organizations that do do the right thing. You know, we're very, very lucky if, if you've got that. Most organizations just will see this as a burden, mm-hmm. sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And Jolie and the team at Pregnant and Screwed have really tried to fill the gap to both support those women with free legal advice, but also to drive and provoke change within government policy, which is massive, because if you can affect government policy and change, then you, you change the system for the greater good. So I think I think that's really important. To answer your question, look, the answer is not always, okay, well, we'll open a crash on site. Yeah. Um, the answer isn't always going to be, we'll give you something for childcare cost. I think that there are organisations that do that, particularly in the US, actually. I've seen organisations where you have a crash on site and you get very well discounted prices or you, it's for free. I think that it really comes back to being able to have enough flexibility for your workforce. And I'm going to say working parents at this stage, because I also want to come on to talk about, it's not always just the woman, but having enough flexibility that people can sort of offset the cost and still be able to contribute in a meaningful way in the workplace. So, you know, whether that's working part-time, whether it's being able to, uh, you know, take emergency childcare days that you get paid for, you know, Standard Chartered has extra caregiver pay for those people who've got caregiver responsibilities and days off. The old organisation I worked for was GSK. They had, you know, if your child, if your nursery closed for a day or there was something where you couldn't get your child into childcare, you could expense the, you know, up to like a week of additional childcare costs. So, you know, there's, yeah, even one organization I worked for that if you came back and you were still breastfeeding and you needed to go on a business trip, they would arrange for you to be able to take your nanny and or baby with you so that you weren't apart from the baby. Because you hear horror stories of people, you know, trying to do express milk and then 
get it shipped across the world within 24 hours so that the baby has the breast milk, you know, and the baby's four months old. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has to do what's right for them, Pippa, and it's personal choice. But equally, if an organisation can just make that easier for you so you don't have to necessarily make a tricky choice or it's a trade-off, I think that's where the organisation can step in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that. So can we just go back to parental leave policies i've sort of have some other things that that have come to mind so i mentioned before that so i started looking looking into it and realized actually longer isn't necessarily better i read an article that was criticizing the swedish model and sweden famously has one of the most generous parental leave policies in the world and what happens is, is as i think you mentioned earlier men don't take the full amount that's allotted to them so they go back to the office this is in a sort of you know opposite sex relationship I'm talking about and the woman ends up often taking longer maybe the full year that she's allowed this then becomes a bit more complicated when you start thinking well actually so the woman this is what the article was saying that it's now forced the woman back into a traditional gender role she's now back behind the kitchen sink she's been at home for a year and the husband has gone off and continued his career and this article was also making the point that if you have three children if you take a year for each, you've set yourself back three years in terms of growth, networking, development. I mean, it's not just as simple as going back into your previous role. I mean, what just strikes me, the more I read about this is that a lot of the solutions that are offered pose further challenges. Yes, I agree with you. So I, so look, I don't know the answer. This is where it gets frustrating because you think, oh yeah. my gosh, of course, like with all best intentions, you, yeah. you know, you say, take your year, take your 16 weeks, which is our standard across the whole world in the bank. But of course, you're never going to have it equal, right? And I think that in the more progressive markets, I see it where you really, you can share the parental leave. So, you know, male employees have equal rights to shared parental leave in the UK, for example, but the uptake isn't high. And so an organisation is not necessarily going to change that. I think that comes back to what we talked about earlier around the societal and cultural norms, and they exist globally. And so what we try and do in the organisation, and our parental leave policy that's published is great because it actually talks about this. It talks about societal and cultural norms, and it talks about how we address those biases. We want to aim to change the perception around the kind of extended leave and how that could hamper career development. Now, again, I think it's a little bit like the gender equality. I don't think you're going to change it overnight. Um, I think it really requires male allies to be on board because if you look at our statistics, you know, still in most markets, in most organizations, the majority of the senior roles are, you know, are traditional male. And so therefore they're in a position of power and influence and decision-making. And therefore they need to be on board with why this is a good thing. They need to be advocating for it. They need to be role modeling it and driving that change. And so for me, it starts there and it just starts with more people having the courage to do it from the male perspective you know in some of our markets even if there's an illegal right to take you know the shared parental leave there's a global policy in place in most organizations for two weeks paid leave globally 
So, you know, let's at least start there, Pippa, and then we can drive the change in it or the progress in a systematic way. And yeah, I don't know the answer. I think this does come back to that traditional, you know, how we're hardwired. Again, just talking personally, I can tell you the number of conversations I've had since getting here to Singapore where it's like, oh, so, uh, so what does your husband do? And you say, oh, well, actually he works inside the home. He looks after the children and the home and, oh, oh, so he's the trailing spouse. Oh, okay. It's the assumption almost nine times out of 10 that I'm the trailing spouse. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that my husband is working. And then when you tell them it's the other way around, that's even more, they almost like the conversation just stops because <laughs> they don't quite know what to say next. And I think for him, you know, it's he's always the token guy with the school mums. So I do think it's hard and I think it, it's going to take time for us to change that. And it just needs us doing it more. I think it needs us encouraging it more. And I think that if a woman has been out for two years, three years in the workplace, creating the environment in which she feels good and confident and it's easy for her to re-enter the workplace, even if it's a different role. You know, again, we've got some great guidelines for our people leaders that sort of say, look, really think about this. Think about how you can manage a person's return to work. Think about them starting in midweek so that they're not worrying about things over a weekend. Think about, you know, the first day back, how they can maybe just start maybe on two days a week initially and then build it back up over time, even if it's a full-time role, you know, actually just do the right thing. You don't need a policy to tell you you need to follow the letter of the law and just don't assume, you know, so again, our policy and it's word for word, a returning employee can feel significant anxiety and concerns about coping with the new responsibilities combined with the possible stress of leaving the child. Here are some guidelines for you as a people leader on how you can help make it a smooth return. So it's little things, Pippa, right? If we can get all of our people leaders in that mindset, then that return, regardless of whether you've been off six months, three months, two years, it should be easier. I love the, the the family dynamic you have. I'm sure it's going to become more common. It's just, it's almost comical that it, it, draws such a reaction yes it's it's that unusual still that that you're the breadwinner right yeah I quite enjoy it I have to say I (laughs) I have I have a little fun with it I met someone over a social lunch who happened to be an exec search headhunter and I said to him oh what do you do here you know do you work outside of the home because that's always my thing you know, you're not stay at home doing nothing. You're working inside the home. Yeah. You know, so I always refer to it. My phrase is, so do you work outside of the home? And his quip back to me was, oh, no, I'm a trailing spouse. And I said, oh, that's amazing. So's my husband. And he said, oh, no, I'm only joking. I'm actually, I actually work full time. I'm a, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, my husband actually does, you know, actually is a trailing spouse. And it's just, I just actually quite enjoy watching people squirm a bit, Pippa, because I think until we have those courageous conversations, <laughs> you're never going to change anything, right? You're just going to say, oh, well, that's, yeah, that's the norm and that's the way it is. So. This man considered that to be a good joke. Um, quite, hmm. <laughs> yes. I haven't added him on LinkedIn, you'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> <laughs> And and what strikes me so much, whenever a man takes the full paternity that's 
allotted to him. Like it, it makes headlines. I think it was the head of Twitter in the US. I think it was a couple of years ago. It was literally it was there were articles written and celebrating him. I mean, this is so unusual that it, it elicits that reaction. And Shu, who I'm going to be speaking to later in the trail from Japan, where the gender roles are very rigid. He took seven months paternity and it was just absolutely unheard of.、Um, I know. And I think Mark Zuckerberg is also another kind of poster、yeah. child, right? But、yeah. I suppose if you're a multi billionaire, Pippa,、mm. it's probably a little bit easier、um, <laughs> to do these things. But you're right. And I'm sort of a bit split on this one because, on one hand, I feel a bit indignant that it should not make headlines. And this is ridiculous. And our media is so biased to, towards the traditional role of women. I mean, you, you only need to look at the UK papers in the last few days around Nicola Sturgeon or、mm-hmm. even Jacinda Ardern. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, how they've talked about stepping back. Regardless of what your political stance is, it's still not okay. And then on the other hand, It's great that we can highlight these role models. So I have a bit of a love hate thing going on with that situation. But you know, wouldn't it be great to get to a place where we don't have to advertise it, that it is just the norm and we don't have to keep talking about it because it just happens like breathing in and out. It is just the way things are. So that for me would be the holy grail where to get to. Yeah, possibly going to have to wait 100, well, 130 something years, was it? That the UN is predicting.、Oh. Okay, Lindsay. I know you feel that HR has a wider role to play in terms of governmental partnership. I think you you mentioned this briefly earlier, but could you tell us a bit more? Yeah. So look,、um, again, I've always had the advantage of working for brilliant blue chip multinational organisations. So I recognise I come from a privileged position on this. But I, I do think organisations are here for for more than just making a profit. <laughs> Yeah, of course we have to make a profit. We have shareholders, and we have a duty and responsibility to our investors. But equally, we've got to have a purpose. And so, you know, profit and purpose for me go hand in hand. If I look at, in particular, the bank I'm working at the moment, the markets in which we operate, you know, we're an emerging market bank. Our footprint in Africa and in Asia, in particular. I just think we have got such an important role to play in governmental partnership, not necessarily the HR side of things, but you know, if we can help educate, give real examples of you know what we see day to day on the ground, how our employees experience things, we can kind of shift and lift the dial a little bit on. Policymakers in government governmental roles, I think that's a huge gift that we can bring in whatever market we operate. I think it enables us to really lift participation, which is another one of our key strategic aims in the bank. But really lift participation, not just for our employees in a particular market, but actually for the broader community. Okay, is there anything else on the policy side? I know we've covered quite a few things. Anything else that you think people should be thinking about? Um, from a working mother perspective, so I'll talk through the different elements. I think we've got the obvious one is obviously maternity leave, right?、Mm-hmm. I think there's global parental leave, which for most organisations, you know, having a global minimum standard in place, I think is really important. I think not forgetting about same-sex couples or however you come to become a parent,、yeah. and making sure you're inclusive around that, whether it's maternity, surrogacy, adoption, it's IVF, you know, whatever realms, it's got to be. 
be all inclusive. Mm-hmm. I think ensuring that you have a position on unforeseen circumstances, sadly, you know, making sure that you understand, you know, if somebody has a crisis moment in a pregnancy, that you've got policy that really covers that. But also in the, you know, in the tragic event of miscarriage or stillbirth, you know, again, pregnant then screwed in the UK is driving hard to ensure that miscarriage is recognised much early on than what it is typically, which is at 28 weeks at the moment for leave to kick in. But just making sure you've got good policy around that and then you know what you're doing. And then the return. So it's almost like pre, (laughs) during, and then the return, the flexible working, the making sure that the returning to the workplace is tailored to the individual and what they need and that you, you really get them you build that confidence to come back in flexible working uh, breastfeeding support you know because again particularly in the developed world you know the levels of breastfeeding mothers that breastfeed are really really low the number of mothers who stop breastfeeding early are really high you know just make sure that people returning to work is not a contributing factor to that there are many reasons why women choose or decide to stop breastfeeding but if you can make that easier for people and you can do that, there are so many health benefits for both the mother and the baby that it's great to be able to keep going on that. So I would also bring in that element as well. And then just making sure that we're addressing some of the, you know, the unconscious biases in the workplace that we talked around earlier. So making sure that men do feel they can take that time off and share in the same way. Perfect. So Lindsay, just final question for you here for any parents or future parents who are listening to this, who perhaps recognize that maternity is a point of leakage in their organization, that women tend to, to exit the organization at this point. What suggestions can you make for how they can start to look for opportunities to, to change this? So for working parents, from the angle of working parents, I think you only get one chance at this, right? And I realise it's hard work when you're in it, but the years are going really fast. And to, to have that, I think, balanced is really important. And therefore, have the courage to raise some of these things to your line leaders. Have the courage to talk to HR and, you know, find out some of those really forward thinking organisations that might have some great policies in place. Most of them will be quite public. There's nothing secretive about them. Use them as a springboard to be able to affect a change in your own organisation. And ultimately, if you take it as far as you possibly can and you're feeling like you're you're not able to affect change, honestly, I would look for a different organisation. And I don't say that lightly, Pippa. I realise it's not that easy. But ultimately, you know, your values and principles have to align with the organisation. And if an organisation isn't able to support working parents in a way that enables them to balance across two really important aspects of their lives I think you've got to make some hard choices but it's the very last option you know really have the courage to explore push just because the policy says something today you know policies are not set in stone and if the legal requirement is at the minimum it doesn't mean to say that your organization can't do something more even if you're a small startup you know there are always bits of things that you can do that don't cost you where capital may be tight so anything is possible and i think ultimately the case for attracting retaining and developing great talent is a business imperative because because ultimately your business will perform better 
if you have that, if you start to exclude either consciously or unconsciously 50% of the world's population, that just doesn't make great business sense. So there's a commercial imperative behind that, I I would say. So let's use that to affect the change for, for not just for the individuals, but for the greater good of society. Okay, Lindsay, it's been so fun speaking to you about all this. I've absolutely loved it. So just thank you so much. Likewise, I can't wait to listen to the series. So thanks for inviting me, Pippa. It's been a pleasure. Wow, that was such a great chat with Lindsay. It's really got me thinking. It's also made me realise how complex it is that a few policy changes alone aren't going to fix the challenges working mums face. However, there is so much that can be done. Next up in the trail, I'm going to be speaking to Juliana Horowitz, Associate Director for Research at Pew Research Centre. I'm really excited to dive into what the data tells us about why being a working mum is still so shit. Shit is probably not an official research term. However, I have a feeling some of the findings will make me feel justified in using the word. I hope you'll join me there. You've been listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. Quick favour. If you like this content, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new upload from us. And of course, if you're hungry for more, and why wouldn't you be, don't forget to download the Tiger Hall app for hundreds more just like this.